0: and read my latest articles, or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how to create better customer experiences through more effective search and content discovery. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Jason McClelland, CMO at Algolia, a leading API platform for search and dynamic experiences. Jason, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Super excited to be here. So why don't you start by giving me a little background on Algolia as well as your role there. Yeah,
1: so Algolia was formed about nine years ago under the initial premise being there wasn't a good search option for developers building mobile apps. Uh, so we were founded uh, you know, very developer centric, very mobile centric. If you fast forward, uh, call it I don't know, three, four years ago, depending on who you ask, a realization was that most people were using us for website search. So even though we could do a bunch of stuff, you know, we're built into Zendesk and Stripe and Twilio and we're built into, you know, the Sony PlayStation and Nintendo Switch and, uh, and uh, NBC's uh, The Voice app for The Voice uh, TV show. All these amazing experiences. People mostly use this for um, website search. The other thing, uh, you know, background on Algolia and my role here, I think this is important for my role, is we're the second biggest search company in the world. So bigger than Microsoft, as far as number of searches that we handle, second only to Google and Google chose us as their partner for Google Cloud and Firebase. So that's a pretty interesting story. The reason why I tell you all that is almost nobody knows that. And so that's my job as CMO is to find a way to like, you know, show people that art of the of the art of the impossible, you know, to get those stories out there, really get developers excited and sort of aware of, like, if you're trying to build like an in-app Uh, discovery experience if you're trying to build a gaming discovery experience if you're trying to build you know support case routing sort of discoverability we can help you with all those and we're already doing that with the biggest companies in the world um we just got to get that story out
0: there yeah that's great and and that's that's great context there so let's get started by uh talking about the importance of search and, and content discovery to the customer experience so as an intro to this topic why don't you give your perspective on just why effective um search and intelligent content discovery is so important
1: yeah first i would start with the the premise that there are billions of people in the world there's billions of pieces of content uh and in today's world people have really short-term attention spans and so people don't they don't have patience for foraging right Mm is like whether you're cnn or nbc or whether you're reddit or whether you're Dior, you know a, a retailer people expect you to know them and show them the right thing within half a second if not, you know, like they're in line at Starbucks, ordering a coffee. If you're not showing them the right, you know, dress or pair of shoes or piece of content or game, they're going to flip over to, uh, I don't know, some other news source, right. Or some other gaming source or somebody else, like it's just too easy for people to bounce back and forth between Instagram and Facebook and whatever, uh, TikTok. Um, and so that's like thing number one is it's, it's actually been really hard for companies to drive that kind of experience, which is okay. I've got millions of people hitting my service. How do i show them the right thing at the right time so it's kind of thing number one thing number two uh you know when i think about search like a lot of people just think about search as, well that's that box on a website in the upper right right i go up there i search for something it helps put me in touch with content right. uh that's definitely a starting point a different way to think about search and discovery is every time you're loading a website every time you're loading an app you're you're effectively making api calls right like you're calling something and whether that's a CDN or a CMS or a different sort of content delivery system, you're calling something. What we're seeing for people is increasingly they're using their search technology, um, often us and hopefully more people using us to actually drive that last mile, which is you're going to have your ERP or CRM or you know, CMS or any sort of like uh, no- other number of three-letter acronyms that sort of powers the bulk of your business logic. But then what is it that actually exposes that experience and shows it in real time and personalizes in real time? increasingly it's services and companies
0: like us. How how should a brand look at consumer expectations? So, you know, you, you, you mentioned a few things here, but how, how can that help them frame even to, to what you're saying? You know, it's not just a text field on a, on a website. It is often cases, but it's not just that. So how, how does a brand kind of align consumer expectations with, with how they do search?
1: Yeah, thing number one
0: is, yeah, what I just mentioned around,
1: I expect you to know me, you know, show me something relevant at first touch, you know, make it engaging, like make the experience engaging. So I want to keep clicking. So I want to keep reading. So I want to keep engaging. Uh, That's sort of uh, thing number one, right, right now, because we're a week out from Thanksgiving, at least here in the US, uh, retailers are really freaking out because uh, all their inventory is stuck on boats. Right. It's like sitting out on a dock outside of L.A. And so, you know, retailers, merchandisers are trying to figure out, like, how do I hit and beat my merchant? Like, how do I beat my revenue numbers for this quarter when I don't know what I can sell? Things are going to sell out. Uh, I don't know if people are going back online, if they're going back in store. Are they are they continuing to buy, uh, you know, comfort wear, are they going to start dressing up um, now that offices are reopening? And so the other thing that is top of mind for businesses is do I have systems that in near real time can help me understand and be super transparent with my, with my users around what's available, like what's actually in stock. When is it going to ship? If it's on back order, like what do I think is the most relevant sort of like second best option, being able to do that in real time because you have no idea what's going to actually be on your shelves. The other, other thing that's very top of mind uh, is Amazon is becoming too slow for people. And so this idea, the, the acronyms are all terrible. You'll hear uh, BOPIS, B-O-P-I-S, or you'll hear uh, digital, like a cross between physical and digital. But the we got to come up with a better branding for that. And you know maybe maybe my marketing team can help. Uh, but right. the idea is, I can't even wait for Amazon. Like I want to know what does Walgreens have in store right now that I can order right now and within fifteen minutes I can be there and pick it up. Uh, just given like the, the inventory inventory
0: shortages. And so. Um behind the scenes, um, you know, so that's t- we're talking about what the consumer has been seeing, but behind the scenes, doing search and recommendations well means syncing up a lot of things, you know developers, marketers, supply chain, all those kinds of things. Can you talk a little bit about this and just how how organizations should think about this in order to do it effectively?
1: Number one is setting the expectation with your vendors that this near real time is what you're looking for. Like historically, I don't know that people have known what to ask for, or to know that they should have to set this expectation. And number two is <clears throat> it's getting easier and harder. Uh, the part that's getting easier is in the past, you either had to build everything yourself. So you're going over to Amazon and you're starting from scratch and saying, okay, I'm going to build something end to end from scratch myself. That's incredibly hard in a multi-year process. Or it was hard because you're buying, you know, some monolithic uh, off the shelf SaaS uh, provider and you're having to rip it apart to figure out, okay, like, how exactly do I integrate it with my ERP? How exactly do I integrate it with my PEM? How exactly do I uh, integrate it with like my last mile sort of customer experience, Uh, you know, the display layer? And so that was really hard because essentially you're fighting the system because it's like uh, the SaaS providers always pride themselves, right? Where it's just like, oh, you get the benefit of multi-tenant SaaS. It's like living in the same apartment as everyone else. Like you don't have to pay for your own plumbing. Right. And that's true. The downside then is your apartment looks like everybody else's apartment because you're buying the same thing. And if you're Dior and you're trying to look different than say like L'Oreal or some other you know premium brand, that's really hard when you're sort of fighting the system and going, okay, we bought the same thing. How do we look different? So yeah. it's gotten easier because there's been this rise of, you know, Gardner calls it composable software. Uh, it's companies like us or Twilio or Stripe, which is Hey, it's bigger than an API. It's smaller than hosted SaaS. It's kind of like pre-built Lego blocks that make it easier for developers to build these experience. So that part's gotten a lot easier um, from a build standpoint. The part that's gotten a lot more complex is in the past, you would just ring up Salesforce or you'd ring up Adobe and you say, hey, I need a marketing system. And they'd say, hey, we got seven clouds. You know, We're more than happy to sell you our seven clouds. Right. Now what you do is you call up you know, Salesforce or an Adobe and you say, hey, I need your content management system but I'm going to go to these other composable companies and actually build the, you know, the the sort of experience layer around it. That's really confusing, especially for marketing and business execs who don't come from a technology background. And so that's part of the challenge of my job, right? Is sort of explaining, I mean, literally like we were doing a deal cycle with a big, uh, PC manufacturer, one of the biggest PC manufacturers, I don't know, maybe two months ago. And we gave the whole pitch that their tech team loved around, you know, APIs and composable and partner integrations and blah, blah, blah. I happen to know the business owner from a past job. So she calls me and she's like, hey, I run a merchandising team and my team hates IT. Uh, all that stuff sounded like IT, spec, or like IT speak. Uh, do, one, do I care? And two, are you telling me I got to go to IT to be able to run my business going forward? Like, what does this mean? You know, and it's not just you guys like Salesforce and Adobe. Everybody else is the same language. I'm so freaking confused. And so that's the part that's gotten harder, right? Is because as your go to markets become more technical, you have business people who come up through brand or demand gen or product marketing or product management. Uh, and now all of a sudden, they're having to figure out sort of APIs and composable. And you know how do I speak to my developer? So there's a lot of work to do there. And there's a lot of uh, gray area in the market because of that.
0: So how do you talk with customers about like the quantifiable stuff, you know, quantifiable metrics of success and, and measures of, of success there. I mean, obviously, you want a great search experience, you want customers to find what they need and, and buy and, and you want um, near real time or real time uh, results. But how do you how do you quantify that for customers? And how should they be thinking about that? Yeah. Fortunately, that's really easy. I mean, this is like the days of digital, right? And so,
1: you know, like what's your bounce rate? Like, uh, are people coming to your app? Are they coming to your site? Uh, Are they leaving within a second or are they actually staying? Um, How much time are they spending engaging? Like, are they going through multiple pages? Are they scrolling up and down? Are they adding things to cart? So all of these things are things that are really easy to measure and really easy to A-B test. And I mean, we've been doing this for, I don't know, 10 plus years in marketing. And so it's kind of like back to basics, which is really building a robust system that you say, okay, what's my hypothesis? Like, I think people need to see A versus B. I'm going to run this test. And what ultimately drives, you know, like bigger engagement, bigger AOV, like average order value, higher cart conversion or higher game conversion or higher, whatever your sort of KPI is.
0: Fortunately, that's kind of the easy part. There's this growing trend and, and expectation uh, from, the, from consumers for personalization and, you know, I, I want it now. You know exactly what you were saying about Amazon is 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 too slow for some people right now. There's also this expectation for personalization. I mean, are we? How how do we how do we solve for all of the? You know, we've got supply chain shortages. We've got rising expectations from consumers. Does that do we go? Is there any going back from this? And and if not, um, you know what? What is what does an organization do to, to to mitigate some of this in the in the short term let's assume you know supply chain gets gets solved at some point in the in the short to mid medium term
1: yeah I would say uh, there's definitely no going back it's only going to accelerate and I know that that's scary you know, like I was reading an interesting article uh, I think it was on CNBC this last week around Macy's. Um, and sort of market market concerns around like is Macy's making aggressive enough investments um, in their digital business and their cross channel business and the idea of like buying online and you know, picking up in store to be able to stay relevant. And I forget the name of it, but they now have an activist investor who is trying to get the company to basically separate and say, hey, split off your digital business and go roll that into its own thing. I think it was Saks Fifth Avenue that ended up doing the same thing where they have the in-person stores. And now they have, it, they call it like Saks off, off Fit or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and so when you look at that, like there are plenty of examples of companies that were maybe a little bit behind on the move to digital. And now now they're really trying to scramble, right? It's uh, how, do I, how do I keep up, right? Given that these are multi-million dollar, multi-year investments and my competitors are two, three, five years ahead of me it's only going to accelerate. Um, And it was interesting. I was talking with a guy uh, over in London, one of the analysts from, I forget if it was Forrester or Gardner, talking with him maybe two months ago around, there are differences in expectations geographically. Meaning like in America, I expect to be able to go to anybody's website, see what they have online, see what they have in store, uh, see what the availability is, know what the shipping time is, expect you within like, I don't know, 99% that it's going to come to me when you have it when you say, And I also expect that if I go to the store, it's going to be the same price as what you told me was on the website. And so it's incredibly dismaying to me. Like, uh, as an aside, I try my hardest to never go into Walmart. Um, I went to Walmart for something maybe a month ago because they had it online. And when I went to the store, it was like 20% more. Uh, and Mm. you know, my initial reaction is, oh my God, like what year is this? You know, that felt like, I don't know, 2011, but anyway, talking to the guy in London and he's like no in europe like we just expect that it's going to be more expensive when you go into the store because you know they got to pay for brick and mortar and blah 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 i'm like that's very thoughtful of you
0: right you know as (laughs) an american
1: shopper as an american shopper i don't care right it's like well that's your business problem not my shopper problem like i want to know what you have when i can get it how much it's going to cost and it feels like shenanigans if i go into the store and it's a totally different price uh so yeah anyway uh sorry for the ramble but yeah there's no going back like incredible increasingly like that's the expectation And so then the idea is like, you gotta make the right investments. And that's incredibly hard, but the idea is like, if you don't, you're gonna fall behind, you're gonna become irrelevant. And so really being clear, like what are the business goals that we're trying to move? Who are our customers and how do they shop? And then how do I sort of uh, skate ahead of the puck, right? Like uh, how can I leapfrog? Like, you know, the days of, um, I'm just gonna buy a one size fits all marketing cloud. That was 10 years ago. And now it's, okay, how am I going to drive across channel, you know, across app, across web, across in-person retail, like which providers can give me that experience and have they actually done it? So show me where you've done it at a company that's like me, show me how much time it took, show me what the business results were, show me the change management and the type of people you needed, but like really sort of putting that to a test Um, or else it's just going to be really, really hard. And quite often people go and, you know, spend millions of dollars with the lawyer or publicist or people like that to help them with that journey. And that works too.
0: Right. Right. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit now about some predictions for and, and, and some recommendations for organizations looking ahead to next year. Um, why don't we start with personalized experiences? So this is certainly, as I mentioned before, a top of mind for customers. Um, they're they appreciate it, but more more important, they expect it. Um, so where do we go from, you know, where things currently are? What can we expect, you know, technologies, AI, ML, all that kind of stuff to help us get there?
1: There's a couple things. And I think it really depends on what type of business you're on and and what type of business you're in, uh, what you're trying to drive your customers are. So there's a bunch of nuance in there. Yeah. In general, a theme that we're seeing, uh, there's sort of two themes around ML and AI that you just mentioned. Uh, one, we're in a pretty big trough of disillusionment with AI. Like at this point, I really, I I grimace every time I see the word or say the word AI, because for the last, I don't know, call it eight years, six years, most of it's been garbage. And so, um, I look at, I know probably 80% of the time that when somebody says AI, they don't know what they're talking about. Right. Right. Um, and that's just like, you know, I mean, most of it's like machine learning models and most of it is like, it's not, it's just not right. Anyway, so you have like this trough of disillusionment or skepticism um, with business buyers and even developers. where they look at it and they go, "Okay, you're telling me you got some great AI-driven thing. Is it really real? Because I've had 20 other companies tell me before, and stuff just actually didn't work. It didn't. It didn't help me. It didn't work. So that's kind of one body of thing that like we as an industry have to dig ourselves out of is like rebuilding that credibility of what exactly is it and how exactly does it work. And that leads to the second secular trend this idea around transparent or explainable AI or transparent or explainable ML, which is I really want the robots to help me do my job, but the robots have to be able to explain what they're doing in a way that a human understands it because then it makes a human smarter and the human can go explain to their boss of like, hey, well, here's why I recommended article A versus B or game A versus B or you know red dress versus blue dress, you know because the ML showed me that it maximizes revenue or maximizes margin or maximizes most popular, whatever the thing may be, right? Um, so we've seen a lot more retailers explicitly asking for that, which is, Hey, we love that your models are transparent and makes my team smarter. Like, how do you guys get even better at that? Uh, so yeah. that's a big trend is one, is it real? And then two, show me it's real. Show me why you're recommending this because I've got to go be able to explain to my management.
0: The transparency. I mean, there's also things like bias and, and things that we can, um, you know, sort of protect against as well as just, you know, I, I was talking with a, a company the other day and. They were using a very well-known company's um, business intelligence tools, and you know, simply said it, it doesn't work. And so, you know, you could you could say, okay, well, that's just a fail for AI, ML, all all of the above. Or you could say, man, if they had some insights, like exactly what you're saying, if they had some insights as to why it's failing, they could actually help. And that, that's where I, you know, I think the humans and the and the robots are, are meant to work together, right? So yeah, and I, I at least think in the that, short term. Right, right, Sorry. yeah, well but I'll be I'll be long gone by the time they actually take over at least from my from my perspective. but but yeah, I mean I how, what do you what are your thoughts about that? You know about again, humans making AI better and vice versa?
1: Yeah, for sure. it was interesting. So in my last job uh, selling a data science platform to enterprises, this was a huge movement, and it was primarily led by uh, pharmaceutical, life science, and banking and insurance companies. And the reason why, is these companies have been data driven for 30, 40, 50 years, right? I mean, that's like the bread and butter, they've always been model driven. Uh, But historically, they were able to automate pricing and basically just say the model made me do it. There's there's a number of societal changes, right? Which is, uh, and in the past, like, you know, if you get sued where it's just like, hey, why are you pricing differently based on race or gender or age or county or city or house type or whatever? Uh, In the past, they were able to say, well, the model made me do it, you know, data in, data out, like that's what happened. Increasingly, courts are saying, that's not okay anymore. Like, you've got to show me why the model and how the model and making sure that you're not sort of like feeding biased data in that's like resulting in biased data out. And that's got, you know, primarily the heavily regulated industries like in a huge scramble, Uh, which is good for everybody who's not in heavily regulated industries (laughs) because you're not on the hot seat yet. But right. it's forcing that change in technology around that sort of transparent and explainable AI of like, you gotta understand like why the model's recommending what it does. You gotta you know have tests around like model drift and model bias, and uh, so systems are coming out that help you with that as opposed to saying I don't know, you know, uh, data in, data out, like the machine made me do it.
0: Um, right, right. It's a huge right. movement that I think the rest of us will get the benefit from. Yeah, absolutely. How about um, localization, hyper-localization? What, what do you see coming you know, down the horizon for that? When we think about hyper-localization, what we're talking about
1: uh, in my part of the industry is what we talked about earlier, that sort of idea of buy online, pick up in store. Yeah. Uh, or also, hey, what do people who look like me, I should be careful with that term, what do people who look like me uh, tend to want based on where I'm at? Right. Like if you think about like Google's really good at this, right? Like if I go to Google and I type in like lunch by me, like Google's able to figure out well where are you and what are the restaurants that are open right by you, and, they, and like it really optimizes the results based on like what's what's a half mile away from you. Uh, that's now being democratized, and that's one of the things that you know we we just did a, a monster deal with the biggest pharmacy uh, with the biggest pharmacy company. Um, And that that was exactly what they were looking for is the idea of like, Hey, somebody needs something, whether it's like, you know, toilet paper or soap or gum Uh, I need to be able to show them in that half a second, like what's in stock and what's most relevant for them in their neighborhood, because there's, you know, three different stores within a half mile from them. So which one should they go to?
0: Uh,
1: In in the past that was incredibly hard being able to stitch together that sort of uh, geo, you know, geolocation data based on your IP address, uh, and your systems like Mac address or whatever your Mac ID, uh, that together across like your, your M system, your, uh, your CRM system, your, ERP system, like stitch all that together. And then like ultimately in real time show that, uh, now that's quickly becoming the expectation. And honestly, like that was accelerated, I don't know, five years, just because of COVID people were like, I can't go in a store and wait for a half hour to pick up toilet paper. Like I got to know who's got what, and I want to be in and out. Um, And so that was
0: a that was a boon to my part of the industry, at least. Well, hey, uh, one one last question before we wrap up. Um, You know, I got some general predictions and and things from you. What can we expect from Algolia in the coming months or year that that relates to some of the things we talked about?
1: Yeah. Uh, So one, you're going to hear a lot more about us. And telling those stories that I mentioned at the beginning around the uh, oh my gosh we're built into the biggest gaming systems the biggest you know uh, media companies the biggest SaaS companies and so just showing people that sort of world of possibility of hey like things that used to be really hard are now much easier so you're just going to hear a lot more of that you know we're going to do a big splash at NRF for the retail uh, industry really really excited about that you're going to see a continued expansion you know if I go back to the beginning operating premise of Billions of pieces of content, billions of people. We make it easier for developers to put those things together. So you're just going to see uh, a lot more product launches and API launches that support that, right? Which is like how all the different ways, you know, how do we get better at doing that for media? How do we get better at doing that for gaming? How do we get better at you know, sort of predicting intent and recommending certain things? And how do we get better at, uh, really analyzing your data, whether it's like, you know, data or plain text or imagery. And so there's a bunch of stuff around that that you're going to see uh, over the next you know, coming months. So super excited for that.
0: Great. Looking forward to, to hearing about it. Well, Jason, thanks so much for joining the show. For those listening, uh, what's the best way for them to keep up with you and what you're doing?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Jason McClellan on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. I'm not so active on Twitter, but super happy to engage with people. Obviously, would love for you to... Uh, listen in to Algolia, you know, come uh, come uh, try it out. Uh, super happy to engage. But yeah, Algolia is also on uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, all, all, all the channels. We're there.
0: Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Jason McClellan, CMO at Algolia for joining the show. Thanks for listening to the Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world. Hey, Houston,
1: Con's prices are invincible. That means prices have been cut low, as in amazingly low, as in won't be beat. In fact, we're backing it up with our low-price guarantee. Invincible prices on appliances, furniture, electronics, mattresses, and more. Not Invincible enough for you? How about free next-day delivery on appliances, TVs, and mattresses? And payment options for everyone, whether you have good credit or building it. Visit cons today and find out what Invincible feels like.